0: Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Every life is sacred to God. And we say on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we, we say throughout the year, that we say from conception to natural death. But I think in the heart and mind of God, it starts before conception and continues on after natural death. And I'm thankful to God for my life. Life is sacred, life is precious, it's a gift from God. And I believe we all need to get a vision for life, a vision for life. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, as we stand together, we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us and give us a vision for life as we read these verses, beginning with verse 15. It says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you are drawn away and worship other gods, and serve them, I announce to you today, you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which... You cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Father, we do ask you to give us a vision for life and what you desire it to be and what it can be when we embrace your gracious offering of not only life as we know it here, but eternal life and abundant life while we are here. Help us to have that vision from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's kind of neat with the advancement of technology, what you can actually see after a child has been conceived with a uh, these 3D ultrasound machines. They have explained that rather than just um, like the uh, traditional ultrasounds that most of us looked at where the sound waves bounce back to give us some kind of imaging. Now the sound waves are moving all around and and they give us three-dimensional images. And now they're talking about four-dimensional images of children in the womb that let us know that, wow, there is life there and it is moving. And, And by 4D, they say that has to do with the fact that it's real time. You're watching movements real time nowadays when you look at a child within the womb. And I don't see how anybody can look at an image like that see that kind of a vision and not know that there is precious, sacred life created by God from the moment of conception. But I wonder if we could come up with even more dimensions. We were talking, we were having fun this past week, uh, talking about uh, some drama and things like that for Easter, and Ben was getting all excited. He said, man, we can add other dimensions to it, man, where people are experiencing things in different ways. And we're like, yeah, man, that would be Cool. That would be awesome. So we're going to let him come up with some of that cool stuff. But what if we could do that with an ultrasound? What if we could look into the womb and see the potential that human beings have? So I believe that's what Scripture allows us to do. To, potential that people have, the potential for them to experience salvation one day, the the potential for them to be a swimmer, to score a touchdown. Uh, if we could look into the womb and see that first date that that young man or young lady will go on, if we can see them working as a nurse, a teacher, if we could see them discovering a cure for cancer, becoming a dad, a mom, wouldn't that give us a a fresh vision for life? Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law. They're on the plains of Moab. This is some 40 years after the departure, after the bondage in Egypt. The Israelites had made their way. Of course, a generation had passed on, and a new generation was waiting to cross the Jordan River and to go into this promised land. And things were going to be different. But they would have the opportunity to embrace a dream that their forefathers had had, And they were going to have to make some choices along the way if they were going to embrace this dream, if they they were truly going to have a vision to live the life that God was calling them to. And, And there's much more to it than just a vision. Vance Havner, a great preacher from the last century, said that we must add venture to our vision. He says that vision... Must be followed by venture because it's not enough to stare up the steps. We have to step up the stairs. And so on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, I want to uh, challenge everybody here to embrace a vision to live. You say, well, we're here, right? We're breathing, right? I, most of you appear to be. Some of you have a few questions about today. Most of you appear to be here and breathing and, and, and doing okay. But not everybody here is living right now. You're not choosing to live life. There's no passion, there's no zeal, there's no enthusiasm, there's no love for life in your life, and you have somewhere along the way lost a vision for life, a vision that causes you to accept and even embrace the challenges and the choices that come with that life. And so while the text is about the Israelites, obviously, it provides us with some principles for embracing what I want to call a vision to live this morning. And here's the first principle. The love that we long for is a command. It's a command from God. The love that we long for, and let's not get confused here. There are a lot of folks that say, yes, we all long to be loved, don't we? Every human being longs to be loved. We want to receive love. But that focus may leave us empty if we do not realize that God created us not only to receive love and be loved, but God created us to love. Look back at verse 15. As they're getting ready to go in the land, he says, I'm setting before you good and evil, or or, or life and good, or, or death and evil. How did he set that before them? Verse 16, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God. You're to have a love relationship with God as you embrace the life that he intends for you to embrace. This is a reminder from Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he went over that passage that we call the Shema, as Moses was reminding them that as you go into the land, keep in mind what, by the way, Jesus would later refer to as the greatest commandment, the number one commandment of all the commandments, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, if you're not loving God passionately, you're not living. And some of you this morning, you're like, man, I'm just not enjoying life. I'm not finding fulfillment in life. I want to ask you to do something. Examine yourself and say, am I more in love with Jesus Christ than I ever have been in my life? That was the problem with the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. They had lost their first love. They were doing all these works and they were worn out and they were tired and they were burnt out, but they had lost their love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not first place and preeminent, and that's where he's got to be for them to embrace the life, to have the vision for life that they were being called to, not just to be loved, but to love, and first and foremost, to love God. Now, lest you think, and I heard one preacher say this, and I took some issue with it. He said that God is an egomaniac because he wants all the love and wants to be worshipped, but lest we call him some kind of egomaniac, let's keep in mind what First John chapter 4 and verse 10 says. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us and gave himself to be the propitiation, gave his only son to be the sacrifice for our sins. God is not calling us to do something that transcends or even comes close to what he has already done because he is perfect and holy and loving and just in every way and worthy of all of our love. But while we were unworthy, he loved us anyway. You were made to reciprocate, to reflect that love back to him. And it's not so much that God's an egomaniac, but that he loves you, wants the best for your life. And he knows that you will not experience the best vision in this life without starting with a love for him. That's where it all begins, a a diehard love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the fruit of that love? Look back at verse 16 again. If you're loving him, then in loving him, you're gonna walk in his ways, doing things God's way. You're gonna keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. And as a result of this, he says, you'll live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you are to possess. As you go into the land, you're gonna have kingdom impact and you're gonna have kingdom influence. Children and land for the Jews meant Kingdom growth and kingdom influence. In the New Testament, Jesus modifies this somewhat in the life of believers in that it has more to do with fruitfulness and the influence of our life. Through that love relationship, John chapter 15 says we're like a branch. We're abiding in the vine. And when we're loving God and obeying his commands, we're abiding in the vine. Then our lives become fruitful and we grow in influence. Now, like in Old Testament times, that may mean that God has a plan for you to bring many children into the world and lead those children to faith in Christ. Or it could be, and probably at the same time, is referring to the fact that we are to influence others toward faith in Christ so that we have many children in the faith, so that we may lead our, through our lives, we lead such a fruitful life that we cause others to come to a saving knowledge of Christ increasing kingdom impact and kingdom influence. But so many of us aren't bearing fruit. We, we, try to, we try to look religious, we try to look Christian, and we try to get everything in life to look on the outside like we've got it all together. I read yesterday that a fresh cut Christmas tree with all the decorations is already beginning to die. Why? Because it's been cut off from the source. A fresh cut Christmas tree with all the direct now by now, for those of you who had a, a live Christmas tree, we used to do that, but then with all the crazy allergies and stuff like that, we had to go back to the kind of the phony baloney tree, and it's kind of fake and it's not as fun as it used to be. But but we you know it kind of messes with our allergies. But but as soon as you put that that fresh cut on the tree, it looks good and you can water, but but it's begun to die. And so most of you have already Drug, drug your Christmas tree through the road or, 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 or through the woods in the backyard or it, it's been burned, it's been consumed because it started the day it was cut from the source to die. So many Christians aren't plugged in to Jesus and I'm not talking about the loss of salvation or anything like that. I'm talking about you're not being fruitful like God called you to be and you're not living with a vision for life. The antithesis of this is seen in verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you're drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, verse 18 says, I announce to you that you shall surely perish. What does it mean that, that you do not hear? They had been given the principles and precepts of God. They were summarized in the 10 commandments. The first four talking about getting things right with God. The second six living in harmony with others. It says, You're not gonna have life. Are are we surprised that so many school shootings are taking place today when we said years ago we don't want God in the schools? We're gonna take the Ten Commandments off the wall? Don't you think it's cool that if somebody walks into a classroom that they see that God Almighty who created them has said, thou shalt not kill? And, And there's an understanding that we will stand accountable to God one day for what we do with his commandments? Other gods, he says, if, if you pursue other gods, what is that talking about? It's talking about idolatry, and more often than not, idolatry is ultimately self-worship. On the Sanctity of Life Sunday, we often refer to the issue of abortion. There's a Together for Life rally this Wednesday in Atlanta. I think Dr. J. Robert White will be, be speaking. If you get an opportunity to attend that, I encourage you to do so. But often, th- this takes place because of a lack of a love for God. And by the way, before we beat up on some of the victims of abortion, and when I say that, I'm talking about, yes, the babies are the victims, but often those who have abortions are victims in the process too. I'm not trying to excuse decisions, but I want to point out that the exploitation of vulnerable women, young ladies, is taking place all across this country. They're being manipulated, they're being lied to. You can see them in abortion clinics, you can see them in the sex trafficking that's taking place in the world today. So before we get too angry with these young ladies, let's ask this question. Where are the men in their life who love God? Who... Are responsible to protect them, to serve them? Where are the fathers that love their families and make sure that they are there for every child that's born into the home? Where are the dads who will say to the abortionist exploiters and to all those preying on vulnerable girls in the, the sex trafficking industry and everything else, where are the dads who will say, You're not touching my daughter, you're not touching my girl. problem in the world today, and and, and we can point our fingers at the feminist movement and the decisions that that many women have made that have been exploited, been hurt, been broken, but where are the men of God today that are loving their families and making sure they take care of every child that they're responsible for? So the exploitation continues. It's idolatry. It's worshiping false gods. It's gods of convenience. Verse 18, he talks about the pagan people in the land. He says, I announce to you today that you'll surely perish if you get in on their behavior. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go into to possess. See, what were they going to discover in this promised land? They were going to discover that there were some people there who did not know God. And because of their weird beliefs, because they were so perverted in their understanding of who God is, they were involved in things like child sacrifice, letting their babies pass through the fire. They were involved in things where they were harming their own bodies, thinking that by harming themselves that they would somehow appease their gods. And so you see right there in the Old Testament when we spoke about it in our life group this morning, Elijah is calling down fire because our God is a consuming fire and he answers by fire. But what were the prophets of Baal doing? They were cutting themselves and doing everything else to try to appease their God. And false gods get us to do all kinds of things to bring harmful behavior, whether you're talking about drug and alcohol abuse or fornication and immorality. Please yourself, please yourself, make yourself God, be your own God, and ignore the God of this universe. And Almighty God, speaking through his prophet Moses, is saying, if you're not going to fall into those traps that bring death and destruction, you've got to have a love relationship with me. And I think that's our greatest responsibility as a church. We can march in Atlanta, and I've done that and plan to do it again. We can march in Washington. We can make sure that every Christian votes in a way that honors biblical standards, and that's a great responsibility that we all have as citizens. But more importantly, we can let everybody know they need a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, was buried, rose again on the third day, and in him and in him alone, they can get a vision for life. They can truly begin to live. And we need to be a picture of that. We, we need to model that. People that can't get a vision for life need to get that vision by looking at you and me. So if an unbeliever, if somebody who, who embraces all kinds of perversions in this world, if they look at you, ask yourself this question this morning, church, brother, sister, friend, ask yourself this morning, if the unbelievers in this world look at your life, can they say, you're truly living? Or if they looked at your life, would they say, well, if that's what it's all about, I don't care nothing for it. Get a vision to live through a love relationship. Secondly, here's the second principle. If they were going to embrace life, he says, the life we live is a choice. The the life that we live in this land, it's a choice. He says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. In other words, the wrong choices will lead to death and cursing. The right choices will lead to life and blessing. He says, therefore, choose life. And by the way, your choice will impact others that both you and your descendants may live. So it sounds here like God is (laughs) pro-choice. Some of you are like, what? You're a conservative Baptist preacher and you said God is pro-choice? Let me explain. We can't choose what is right and what is wrong. God has already established right and wrong. We're not free to choose what is right and what is wrong. But he does allow us to choose between the two. We can choose to do what is right or choose to do what is wrong. In fact, we are both more free and not as free as we sometimes think. As Dr. Rogers always said, you're free to choose, but you're not free not to choose. And you're not free to choose the consequences of your choice. That's in God's hands. So when we talk about a choice in scripture, when scripture says choose you this day, when scripture sounds pro-choice because it gives us all these choices, It is not saying the choice is optional. There's a difference between a choice and an option. Choice is that between right and wrong. Option is, well, there could be two things that are right, and and both of them are equally right. Not all choices are equally valued according to Scripture. That's the moral relativistic world we live in today that says, listen, one can choose one life, another can choose another life. We can have all kinds of alternative lifestyles. (laughs) Concerning all kinds of things, God says, choose righteousness, choose life. So God's ways are already established. Jesus would echo this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, 14. He says, there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. There's a narrow way that leads to life, and only a few find it. And So what is God saying? Choose life. Choose the narrow way. Do you have a choice? Can you get on the broad road? Yes, that's your choice. Can you determine that it will not lead to destruction? No, you have already chosen destruction when you choose the broad road. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus would say, choose life. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way that seems Right, but in the end, it leads to death, so we better choose the right way that leads to life. You say, Well, wait a minute, we, we face temptation in this world. Why do people make bad choices? James chapter 1 says that we sin when we are drawn away by our own lusts, our own selfish desires, and entice. And when sin is conceived, or when, when, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, leads to death. So rejecting sensual temptation is to embrace life. So there's a choice. We can choose what the devil has in store, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, or what God has in store, and choose Life. And and we we can get so confused if there is a way that seems right and the end leads to death, then it's got to be confusing for these young people to look at things and behaviors and opportunities and sometimes and think, well, I'm making the right choice, and then wonder why it led down a path of destruction. It's because the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, so that the two are contrary. They're in a battle, and we need to pray for them in that battle. We need to pray for ourselves in that battle. We need to be suited up for battle so that we can make the right choice. Kids are making bad choices all the time. Adults are making bad choices all the time. I remember when I first became pastor here, it was, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd been here a year as pastor. And I got a call from our custodian early one morning, about 8 o'clock. Said, uh, Pastor, you may want to come up here. He'd come up to turn on the heat and everything else. And he said, the church has been vandalized. Some of you men remember that. I got up here, and I called several of our deacons. Church has been vandalized. People had painted uh, swastikas and gang symbols and other stuff on our vans and on the sidewalks and other places and so we had men up here with pressure washers and and buckets and everything else, and we were trying to clean everything and, and I am excited to be able to say that by the time nine hundred forty five rolled around by the time you know I, well we started nine thirty but by the time nine hundred forty five rolled around, everybody was pulling in we had at least everything out of sight. Something had been thrown through a back window here and it was broken, but we had at least temporarily covered up everything for services that Sunday morning. When we were in the process of cleaning everything up, and I'm seeing these gang symbols and I don't know what they mean. I'm seeing swastikas. I'm seeing these comments written and all of that. It became obvious to me that this was not like some radical gang out of Atlanta or something that had made their way to the big city of Danielsville, Georgia, But there were some teenagers, maybe younger, trying to have a good time, being a little stupid, making some bad decisions that could get them in trouble for a long time. And so I began to pray, Lord, just give me an opportunity. Just give me an opportunity to share your love with these, whoever did this, just give me an opportunity begin to pray. Well, it wasn't long after that that There were a number of the boys that got caught and got in trouble and had to uh, pay a price in different ways because this wasn't the only place that had been vandalized. But one of the grandmothers brought two of these boys into my office to apologize. said, yeah, they're dealing with the law, but they came here to give an apology. I was able to share with them John chapter 10 and verse 10 and how they were giving in to the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy But then that Jesus had come to give them life and life more abundantly. And I said, You got a choice. You got a choice. One of those young men prayed with me to receive Christ as a Savior and Lord that day. And before he went to serve time in the YDC, we baptized him here at Trinity. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. The life we live today is a choice salvation, a good marriage a clean life, fruitfulness, the impact that you'll have on this world. It's a choice. It's an opportunity that you have. And God says, choose life. And once you choose to live, all that's left is this third principle, and that's this. The legacy we leave is a conquest. The legacy we leave is a conquest. What were they going to do? They were going to have to experience this conquest in the promised land. He says, Again, in verse 20, he reminds them of the love relationship, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, because love obeys. Jesus says, why do you say that you love me and you don't do what I say? You demonstrate love through obedience, not just words, it's actions. And he says, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, that's the relational aspect, for he is your life. John chapter one, in Jesus' life, and life, That life is the light of the world. He says, the length of your days, we might call that full and meaningful life. By the way, you can live to be 12 years old and have a full and meaningful life, and you can live to be 112 and have a fruitless, meaningless life. And so this is a a, a full life, a, a meaningful life that you might have something that's real and lasting, that you might leave a legacy that you may dwell in the land, that you might be victorious conquering this land. Dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was he saying? That you may go in and get in all, on all that God had for you. That as you enter into this promised land, that you may have a conquest, that you may take hold of that for which Christ has already taken hold of you. And one thing that breaks my heart when it comes to this vision for life is when I look at people not getting in on what God has in store for them, not embracing the life that God desires for them. And when people make bad decisions, no matter what age they are, whether it's a teenager that makes a bad decision and they wreck their life as a result, whether it's a young adult, somebody going through a middle-age crisis, and so in the midst of that middle-age crisis, they start making some bad decisions rather than clinging to God, and they're hurting their legacy. It breaks my heart. And I, too, will be tempted to do those same things, to say, you know what, do some things that could hurt your legacy. God is saying, choose life. Cling to him. Take Jesus by the hand. Walk with him. He is your life. The journey with Jesus is not just a means to an end. It's the end in itself. I've said the same thing about prayer. Prayer is not just a means to get what we want from God. Prayer, our communion with God, is an end in itself. That's the relating with God. I'm in a relationship with God. I had conversation with God. What gets better than that? And the journey with Jesus is not just so I can say, well, I'm going to get to the promised land one day. When I am journeying with Jesus, that is the promised land. It doesn't get any better than walking with Jesus. For me to live is Christ. How would you feel in this blank if if you didn't put the word Christ? For me to live is... How do you feel in that that blank? What is your life? If others are, are watching you. For me to live is to argue with my wife. Or the men would say, for me to live is to win every argument. For me to live is football. For me to live is... How do you fill in the blank? Well, preaching is what I do, but Christ is my life. For me to live is Christ. That's getting in on all that he has for us. That's the conquest. That's the legacy that we leave. And So verse 20, as we read him on the go, just summarizes what would take place under Joshua, what God wants spiritually to take place in our life. What's your conquest? What territory do you need to be taking back in order to leave a legacy? Is it your home? Is it your school? Your workplace? As a church, do we need to take some territory back in our government? Probably so. In our state, in our nation, that's leaving a legacy. The influence we use to change the world with truth, the truth of God's word, including our homes, our communities, our nations. What are we doing with that? God has blessed so many of you in different places. And see, God is a very strategic God. He says you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, and he is strategically placed. As I look across this congregation, he has strategically placed so many of you in different places and gifted you with different gifts. And in that environment, he has given you something called influence so that you can impact the lives of others. The fact that you have that influence is a gift from God. What you do with that influence is your gift to God. That's the conquest, impacting our world, bringing that kingdom vision into the lives of many in this world. That's a vision for life. It's not asking the question, young people, you think about college and, and your career and all that, it's not asking the question, how will I make a living? It's asking the question, how will I live in a way that leaves a legacy? When we leave this world, when we leave this world, will the world know that we've been here? As I've recently seen the question posed, if your church were not in your community, would it make any difference at all? if the members of your church, if the believers in your church were not in your community, would it make any difference at all? If so, what difference would it make? That's the legacy that we're to leave. In 1989, I believe was year. maybe it was before that, I remember Hurricane Hugo coming into Charleston and, and creating a path of, destruction and debris all the way this side of Charlotte. I was not there and I experienced uh, my share of hurricanes when we lived in Wilmington, North Carolina in the 90s, but I did not experience Hurricane Hugo but I do remember driving to an evangelism conference north of Charlotte not long after Hugo came through and though I did not see and experience Hurricane Hugo I saw the path of destruction I saw where the hurricane had been and debris scattered everywhere Trees wiped out. Well, I wasn't there, but it left its legacy. We still talk about Hugo. Remember being in Wilmington and seeing something wonderful when we had all of these hurricanes. And that's groups of people with, especially, I was excited about our own denomination, but to see people from disaster relief organizations come in. And just as the storm had left everything worse. These folks came in from all these disaster relief organizations, and when they left town, everything was a lot better. (laughs) They had come in. They had cleaned up. They had counseled with those that were hurting. They had fed the hungry. They had cleaned up a lot of the debris. Some of you have been involved in disaster relief, which is a vital ministry. It reveals the love and the power of God. What it says is we're going to leave things better than we found them. The storm came through and left things worse, but we're going to leave things better than we found them. And I think that's a mentality that all of us need to embrace in life. See, we can complain about liberal politicians and, and the depraved nature of humanity that is leaving a trail of destruction across this nation, the, the sin that destroys our communities and our homes. We can complain about it or we can say, you know what, that's leaving things worse than they even were, but we, when we leave this place, our legacy is we're going to leave things better than we found them. We're going to leave it better than we found them. I pray that'll be your mission, that you would leave a legacy and that begins when you choose life. Receive a vision and embrace that vision and walk in that vision for life. Would you bow your heads with me?